Great, thanks, Brian, and thanks to all of our speakers today. Um, so we have about 40 minutes left for a QA and a um, with anyone with questions. Please do type your name in the chat and I'll call on each of you um, in the order we receive them. Uh, our first question comes from Abdul. Abdul, please go ahead. Oh, there we go. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, quick question, Brian. What exactly assistance do you guys want the state to help you with? Is it is it financial assistance? Is it you know, maybe adjusting the regulatory scheme to bring the cost of health, delivering healthcare down? I guess my question is what exactly uh, do our friends in the hospital industry need from the state to to survive, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think uh, you know a couple of the the hospital executives been uh, that what what we don't need are uh, new policies that would be punitive uh, or or harmful that would disrupt contracts, for example, um, that would reduce hospital payments in this fragile environment. That is a, a huge concern. Uh, but I think, as Alan Fisher said, it's a little bit more than that, right? Um, we uh, can, what we need to do uh, is, is also look at our Medicaid program, for example. Can we raise base rates in the Medicaid program? Uh, Alan mentioned that Medicaid covers about 53, 54% of the cost of delivering care. And, and Medicaid enrollment is is high, it's significant. Uh, we go at the height of the pandemic, and I think that's sort of where we are today in terms of Medicaid enrollment, you have 2 million Hoosiers who are covered by the Medicaid program. So our members are treating a lot of patients covered by these programs. And Alan also said this, that's, it's great that we have this safety net. Uh, we have the Healthy Indiana Plan, which has been a lifeline for so many and hospitals partnered with the state to fund that. Uh, to the tune of, was said before, $1.5 billion a year. We fund increases in our Medicaid rates because the state has not raised them in 30 years, over 30 years, actually, and pay for essentially the entirety of that HIP program. So I think what we hope is that there's not harmful legislation. We would also hope that we can take a look at how we fund uh, Medicaid to help some of our safety net providers to help reduce some of those that cost shifting that that occurs uh, to those with with private insurance that could help reduce costs by investing uh, in those state programs. Uh, so I think those would be really the two things I would say up first. Um, I would also just then say Alan mentioned something which I, I, the uh, kind of some of the burdens associated with uh, private insurance and some of the insurance companies and that the policies that they place on patients have an impact on the hospitals. So looking at things like prior authorization and other administrative streamlining, that can have cost for everybody, but it would also help hospitals kind of keep some of their resources, uh, you know, not dealing with paperwork, but uh, dealing with patients and, and helping improve care. So I think those are just some things we would ask. Thanks, Abdul. Um, our next question, comes from Caitlin Kendall with WRTV. I have a couple of questions if that's okay. My first one is we've talked a lot about what is going on in the hospital system, but my main question and for people at home is what does this mean for Hoosiers when it comes to the health care that's being provided to them on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I can start and maybe I might ask uh, a couple of our members to share. I think they've alluded to some things. What hospitals, Indiana hospitals, 
are not going to compromise on, on quality, right? Every patient, it's our uh, responsibility and, and privilege to take care of everybody who comes through the door 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But there are challenges in access in the services that, that hospitals provide. It's a very uncomfortable situation. Um, but uh, when you have to make decisions in a difficult financial environment, what we worry about are closing sites of care. Um, those could be physician offices, clinics in certain areas. Uh, it can be whole hospitals. Um, Mr. Fisher, uh, you know, talked about the difficult decision they have looking at their um, their their service uh, where uh, they deliver babies, their obstetric service. Uh, he mentioned maternity deserts. We've seen um, a number of hospitals in the state be forced to make that difficult decision uh, to no longer be able to carry that service. Now, there's lots of reasons why, lots of factors that go into that decision, um, but finances are a part of it. And so I think for Hoosiers across the state, what we need them to understand is um, when they come to the hospital or seek care, uh, they're going to have all the resources at our disposal. But when it comes to access, these the difficult decisions that hospitals are wrestling with could mean that access uh, may be somewhat reduced. It could it could in increase wait times, for example. Um, nobody likes that either, but that's part of the reality. Uh, and really, I may just open it up if if one of our CEOs or CFOs wants to share, you know some of the conversations they've had or may have to have um, uh, regarding uh, access or services. Well, I'll just, um, I'll jump in and, and, you know, we do not want to reduce services. You know, I think all of us are fighting against that, but there are a lot of service lines that we provide that we operate at a loss. And I think people don't realize that. Um, you know, I run an OB unit, you know, we lose money in that unit. Um, I run the ambulance service for the county. Um, we've done that since the 80s. Um, that is our gift really to the, the people here. It's not our responsibility, but it's something we agreed to do. Um, we lose over a million dollars a year doing that. You know, I don't want to give that back to the county because then the county is going to have that burden. You know, I want to be able to continue to do that for this county, but, you know, we're going to have to look at those kind of things that, you know, that we do lose money on. I will add to that. We, we have seen, again, those maternity deserts um, popping out up here uh, within the three counties that surround uh, Fulton. And my proposal is, again, a state assistance to create maternity oasises, if you will, or a maternity oasis where, again, a hospital centrally located, such as Woodlawn, can, can provide those services with the, some assistance from the state as far as uh, being able to fund the operational uh, part of the uh, service. We're not asking for a hunt, just a little bit. That would be great. Hi, this yeah, is Lauren Trumbo with uh, Methodist Hospitals. And just to echo what uh, you have already heard, uh, Methodist mission is to provide health care to all of those in need, regardless of your ability, ability to pay. So, you know, we don't want to cut access um, to our communities. However, 
as as you have seen from other industries, everyone's tightening their belts, right? So um, with this very um, hard financial year in 2022 for all hospitals, and then also looking in the future, that is something that we have to look at. Um, and what that means is, um, yeah, looking at, looking at access, where do we need to be more lean? And it will, you know, um, reduce access for our patients, higher wait times, which, which no one likes. But again, we do have legislation going through our state, a specific around site of service, which will also reduce uh, reimbursement to the hospital. So already in our financial distress, um, there's some legislation that's gonna pile on to that, which will make hospitals look at re possibly reducing additional access to our patients. So just, just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Yeah, I think just to that, I would just say that, you know, hospitals have tried to, you know, want to meet patients where they are. And so there's been a number of initiatives to try to reach into the community uh, to make primary care, um, cancer care, make those things more accessible uh, to patients. And uh, those are the kinds of things we don't want people to have to drive farther uh, to receive that care, or when they do, if they have to come all the way to the hospital uh, to, to have longer wait times. But we are starting to see, we have seen some announcements across the state. We've seen some in central Indiana, uh, the north and the south of actual housures. And uh, what, we're, what we're saying is we don't want that trend to continue. And then my question was, I, we, all of you guys kind of talked a lot about how expenses are growing more than revenue coming in. My question is, obviously, it's no secret that healthcare can get expensive, no matter where you go for Hoosiers across the board. But how do you get to this point in the hospital system where more money is having to be taken out and in exchange, more money isn't coming in to this point? Well, I think... There's been some of this is related to much, much of it related to labor, I think, is, as you heard. Uh, I mean, we really had, uh, I, I know it's probably a trite phrase, but, you know, a true great resignation uh, in the healthcare labor workforce. Uh, the, the toll, the physical and psychic toll of the pandemic, um, you know, we had a lot of uh, our frontline heroes who retired early, maybe moved into a different setting in healthcare away from the hospital and into a different setting. It's really difficult to replace. Uh, and that's why uh, we, we talked about contract labor and, and how we're trying to move away from that. But I think uh, Mr. Gruber kind of really spoke to that. You know, there's a difficult choice there. Uh, if you want to try to move away from that in a long-term manner to have a more sustainable future, it's expensive. Um, I, I would also know that while I, I, that we are talking about um, labor and these costs really driving a lot of the problems that we're seeing, I want uh, everyone to know that at the same time, I know uh, Mr. Gruber could speak to this as well as others, uh, there are significant investments despite the financial strain uh, hospitals are trying to make with, uh, along with partnership with some of our educational institutions uh, to try to grow that long-term pipeline um, I know a number have worked with Ivy Tech. We have legislation this session. Um, also, another area to uh, um, Abdul, uh, Mr. Kim Shabazz's question, you know, what can legislators do? Helping us with workforce and our workforce expansion legislation would also be helpful. I think the pandemic has had a, a significant uh, toll. That's one of the main reasons we're seeing, seeing some of these trends. 
All right, thanks, Caitlin. Um, two questions next from Debbie Knox. Yeah, hi, thank you for taking the questions. Um, uh, first off, I'm, I'm curious if you could explain to me the impact of these cyber attacks on hospital systems. Um, I know a, a lot of places don't like talking about the impact, um, but I'd like to get an idea of just how serious this is and, and what's happening, especially in our rural hospitals, to prevent this from happening. I there's a lot of investment. Uh, it is expensive uh, to put in systems to guard against that. You know, hospitals are are somewhat open places, right? They're welcoming places of caring, uh, and uh, you know, there's lots of different points of interaction with the healthcare system. There's a lot of requirements for all of those places to be wired and part of the electronic health record under federal rules. So hospitals have to invest a lot in that. Um, the cost of cybersecurity uh, has is great as well. Insurance that's gone up a lot. Um, so there's a lot of effort being put into uh, playing defense here, but unfortunately, you know, the cyber criminals, uh, they're kind of changing up their game. So I, I might ask Carol uh, Dozier, um, uh, our, our, our chair uh, of the association with that experience to just maybe share a little bit about kind of what the impact is. If Debbie, is that your question? Kind of maybe also what just, what does it mean for the hospital on a in a practical sense? Yeah, exactly. What are, you know, uh, what, if you can tell me the losses, what kind of losses are we talking about statewide? Do we have any idea, ballpark figure here? Yeah, I do not know statewide. Um, I can tell you what they are though. Um, so we had to reinvest in a lot of capital um, with replacing equipment, um, very expensive capital, very expensive labor um, to do that. Um, we, as a safeguard, we changed many of our programs. So we had to reinvest and not bring up those programs, but bring up new programs that were safer. You also have to think about, we had to um, shut down some of our services during that time um, because we could not um, run equipment. Um, and so that had a great impact on revenue. And then just think about, we did not bill for months, okay? So, you know, you, you go for months without billing. Our first priority was to get the patient medical record up so we could care for patients safely. And, and that was what we did. Then everything else comes after that in a priority. And we did not make billing a priority. Um, we made everything patient care a priority. So then we had um, months of billing <laughs> to catch up on. Um, all the paper, paper records that we had to enter into the systems um, and then you also face insurance companies. Um, they, they will only, um, if you don't send in something in 90 days, um, they will not pay. Um, so we had to um, work with them. Um, some have been very cooperative, some not, but we're still um, dealing with that impact. And so it, it's, I would say it's, it, it impacted everything, you know, revenue, um, capital, operating expenses are now higher because we have different um, systems to improve ourselves. And, and of course, labor, um, there was a lot of labor involved in restoration. Thank you. Uh, I, I do have one more uh, question, Brian, you might be able to take this or maybe one of the other uh, officials there. As you know, uh, House Bill 104 is out there and uh, there is pressure on legislators to get hospital costs in line with national averages. But as I'm listening to all of the, the leaders in the hospital uh, group that, that talked today, it sounds a lot like it's smaller hospitals 
are having a more difficult time than the larger systems. I mean, they're, I, I'm sure all everybody's going to say they're having a hard time, but it just seems like the hospital, I'm hearing about larger systems with bigger reserves than the reserves that smaller hospital systems have. I, am I reading that right? And if, if that's the case, then shouldn't this bill be redesigned to more specifically help the smaller systems if they're having the biggest problems with contract labor, overall costs, inflation, volume down, all, all the things that you guys went through. Yeah, uh, Debbie, I appreciate that. And, you know, we uh, talked, uh, I testified yesterday as well as some of our members on House Bill uh, 104 uh, and stated that uh, we understand that healthcare costs uh, are uh, an issue that is very real for Hoosiers and the members are committed to being part of that solution and looking at how we get to uh, national averages, whether it's in, in price, we really think that overall is ultimately where we need to be working towards. Um, but the, the impacts that you're seeing um, uh, that, that were presented by, uh, by Eric Swanson um, from Kaufman Hall, these are across the board. And these are all hospitals. So from our largest systems, those are part of uh, national systems uh, down uh, to uh, our statewide healthcare systems, whether that's IU Health or the Franciscan Alliance. I mean, this is a difficult environment for all healthcare systems. Um, now, certainly just in a nominal sense, the larger the system, they may have their reserves may be larger just because they're bigger. Um, but I really think that some of the criticisms that have been levied by opponents, uh, I guess I would say almost opponents of hospitals, unfortunately, or critics of hospitals in some of the legislative debates, uh, I think are uh, outdated uh, and inaccurate in terms of uh, you know, reserves and, and, uh, and, and this sort of thing. So what I would say is, I don't know, no one should be targeted, whether it's large health systems that, that are, are great partners of all the hospitals here and important to our state. We shouldn't be targeting anybody. Um, but what we should be doing is letting us work as an industry and how we can reduce costs without tying our hands um, with legislation. Um, but also we do need some support and probably targeted support for some of our rural and urban safety net hospitals that have the, perhaps the greatest challenges um, because of their payer mix, because that Medicare and Medicaid continue to pay less and less uh, further and further below, excuse me, further and further below the cost of care. Um, so I do think we uh, kind of need to redirect the conversation right now and our members are absolutely committed to working on, you know, looking at price and cost and reducing that for Hoosiers. But at the same time, we do need some help right now. Brian, do you think that this 2025 deadline that's been talked about so much by Bray and Houston, is, is that realistic? Is that, or is it uh, just kind of pie in the sky? Do you, I know you've got a couple of hospital systems that are saying that they can, IU Health specifically, but then you got uh, Fort Wayne as well saying that they've cut their costs. Um, I mean, that I just keep coming back to that deadline. Is that even realistic? I think there's, uh, I think there's a, uh, for some of our forces to work towards that, but if there's legislation uh, like House Bill 1004 in its current form, that I think would tie the hands uh, of hospitals in terms of how they get to those goals. Uh, it, but even more importantly, if you think about what the unintended consequences of some of those policies would be on hospitals across the state, 
you know, the legislature did a study uh, this summer, uh, commissioned a study to talk about kind of chart their pathway forward in healthcare. And the main finding from that uh, report was that every market's different. Uh, and it really cautioned against kind of statewide legislation. Um, there's no one size fits all there. But I think when we look at some of the facilities that really need help now, there are some opportunities, I think, for targeted relief and targeted support. But really just the entire healthcare industry, we need not a tax, but support to help us get through this very difficult period. Thanks, Debbie. Uh, our next question is from Leslie with the Indiana Capital Chronicle. Um, hi, all. Thanks so much. Um, I have sort of a follow-up on that. Um, I feel like there's sort of a narrative out there about, um, well, I guess. Hey, guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Now, Leon Taylor is also well-known, we all know, for their tailor-made clothes, but you also know they're ready for their custom-made and ready-made clothing as well. That's right. Clothes that are right there on the rack that you can buy and pick up, and they'll make the alterations included in the price. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. And, of course, then you know if they want something tailor-made specifically just for you, then they can do it. So whether it's tailor-made, whether it's ready-made, or whether it's custom-made, it is for you and you specifically. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. They'll be happy to see you and happy to take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. So how could you guys talk about, you know, differences in how rural and, like, suburban urban hospitals are doing right now. Um, we went through some challenges, but I'm curious, you know, if every market is different, um, differing by um, kind of rural versus urban. And because the common sort of narrative is that those that are in like urban areas with more insured, like commercial insurance patients, um, maybe aren't struggling so much. So. I'm just curious your guys' perspective. I, I might actually ask Eric, uh, who's the one that looks at the data, uh, to share this. I think that I hope the takeaway here is that the the financial impact that's hitting all Indiana hospitals, it's really being driven by a lot of these expenses, this expense costs, right? And that's in labor and supplies and all these things. It's hitting everybody. So I do think that sort of the current narrative that's out there um, is not correct because there is a lot of pain across the board. Um, Eric, you see it nationally in here. Could you comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and great. Uh, Brian's thoughts and the data certainly does as well. It's true that, that these impacts, primarily being external impacts onto the hospitals themselves, are affecting them of all, all sizes and geographies. So when we look at both the number of hospitals operating with negative margins, the decline in operating margin over time, declines in days cash on hand, shift towards outpatient care away from the hospitals, uh, impacting all of those alike. It is important to note though that, that, as was mentioned early on, for many of these rural hospitals, just in terms of their own size, uh, they came in generally with, with smaller balance sheets than others, but uh, the largest uh, systems as well are, are facing some of these same challenges. So. It really is universal and, and frankly, even expanding outside of Indiana itself, we're seeing it in all geographies and all states across uh, the country here with very, very similar trends as, as to what we've presented today. And just a quick follow-up, um, you guys talked earlier about how um, you kind of cautioned against sort of statewide legislation, really emphasized that um, markets are unique. 
I'm curious like how you would propose um, of addressing this um, if, you know, it's not like local governments can legislate their way out of this, but the state government can't do something statewide. I'm just curious, like what you guys see as a path to a solution. Well, I think there are some there are some statewide solutions that are kind of part of the core sort of responsibility of the state. One of the things that was alluded to was Medicaid funding. Um, Medicaid rates have not been increased in in 31 years, 32 years, I believe, we're going on and pays far below the cost of care. Uh, for those hospitals that treat the highest percentage of uh, patients who are served by Medicaid and Medicare, that really helps them tremendously. It helps sort of balance out that equation. Mm -hmm. So I think that's uh, that's you know would be an excellent step to help kind of easing some of uh, of the strain um, that is out there. And there does appear to be uh, some some chatter um, in that regard. Another, I think possibility of a program could be to look at those areas where you do have threats regarding maternity deserts and hopefully we can uh, as alan said keep them as maternity oases and so so i think there's kind of a combination of things that we would suggest uh, you know looking at funding levels for certain programs like medicaid but also uh, creating a pool of funding that could target some um, of those you know most at risk vital programs like OB services and others. Thank you. Uh, so we have another question from Caitlin. Yeah, so, so I know we've talked a lot about how finding the resources to staff the hospitals has played a big role into the bottom line here, but I just wonder how big of an issue it is when we talk about bedside nurses, we talk about a lack of people coming into the, how big of an issue are you guys seeing statewide that we're being impacted here? It seems like it's something that everybody's talking about. We don't have nurses, no one's coming in the industry. How big of an issue is this? I think I'll let our members speak to that um, and maybe even talk about some of the solutions. Craig, would you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, we noted uh, that we would not be able to produce enough nursing graduates uh, over the coming years to, to uh, fill the vacancies that we were going to have in our communities that we serve. Uh, the number of retirements, the number of those leaving the field uh, during and after the pandemic was far exceeding the number graduating. Uh, in our whole system, uh, on an with a what you would consider a turnover rate, we would need about 150 to 200 nurses a year uh, to bring into the health system. And that number just wasn't being met. And so what we did, decided to do was to approach Ivy Tech and developed a relationship with Ivy Tech where we, we are essentially funding uh, the school uh, the program for uh, nursing graduates of their two-year RN program. And so we fund uh, the tuition, we provide what we call a living stipend to those students and we guarantee them a job after they get out. And the other thing we're providing and, then, and it's usually one of the key barriers to the number of graduates is the faculty. Uh, because the, the colleges can't pay usually the higher salaries it takes to attract master's degree nurse uh, faculty members, we are actually hiring the faculty 
and having them work for us in a hybrid program where they staff uh, a small amount and our faculty for the majority of their jobs. And that way we're able to increase the size of the program. And so we've already expanded it. We're hoping to expand it further to ultimately reach the number of students that we need uh, to be graduating each year. Um, I, I think healthcare, uh, you know, took, uh, has taken uh, lots of bumps and scrapes uh, through the pandemic in terms of a profession. Um, I think a lot of people saw the challenges, both physical and mental, that healthcare workers have gone through. Uh, many left the profession and we're not seeing as many people come into the profession. I know our application uh, pool numbers are down in terms of the number of people applying for healthcare. And I hear that from my colleagues all across the state. And so taking actions to figure out how to get uh, people interested in the field of healthcare again uh, is important. We're doing work in the high schools to do that and then getting them attracted into those professions and removing barriers to getting them into school is important. And right now we're funding those efforts. Uh, and as Brian said, legislative support and uh, programs, grants, those sorts of things that support, um, uh, whether it's the schools or the, the, the hospitals and health systems, I, I don't care. But what I care about is, you know, providing great opportunities, removing barriers for citizens in Indiana to get those degrees and, and, and get great jobs and stay in their communities. Any of, the, any of our other members uh, just want to talk about your workforce shortage? Of in positions. I'm sure you're all struggling with it equally. Yeah, um, we are. I mean, we're struggling and, you know, we, we have some difficulty attracting people. Um, as, as beautiful as Madison is, it's not for everyone. So we do have trouble sometimes attracting people. Um, we've seen a lot of our nurses retire early. Um, we've seen our nurses take jobs um, that they can work from home, such as um, working for an insurance companies because they want to get bedside after COVID, they're just they're just tired and and they're emotional. Um, even our ones that are left, when I I talk to them, they're they're still fragile, and you know I still worry about some of them still leaving the profession. You know, and I'm trying to stay very close to them because it, it's a critical time in nursing, and and you know they're they're seeing travelers around them, um, you know, making a lot of money. <laughs> And that doesn't feel good, you know, so we're trying to do our best to get, you know, get them out like what Craig did and and still stay viable for the future and, and pay them, you know, what we what we need to for the future. So it, it's, you know, I think what Craig said is it, it's not going to solve itself tomorrow. <laughs> it won't solve itself next year. But what we're doing and, and I know Norton Healthcare is investing in, in Ivy Tech locally to expand their program. So what we're looking at is two years from now and three years from now to, to get that pipeline back in and because that's the best we can do. And we're going to have to limp along in the next year or two, I think, you know, while we, while we, that new pipeline comes in. Yeah, for those of you in central Indiana, members of the media community health network, I know has partnered with Ivy Tech to create, I think, the first new school in Hamilton County for nursing. Um, I tweeted out something myself this morning about a partnership with Ascension St. Vincent and, uh, and Marion. I think we're, we're seeing um, hospitals, despite the difficult financial environment, invest and create these partnerships with our state's educational institution because you have to. I mean, there's just no other choice. We've got that pipeline or else we won't have enough um, folks at the bedside to, to take care of Hoosiers if, if we don't uh, start riding the ship from a workforce perspective. Thanks, Brian. 
in. Um, so that's the end of our questions. Are there any further questions from members of the media? All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. Thanks so much to our speakers. Um, for the media, we will be sending a recording of this out uh, as soon as we close here. And you'll also receive please from IHA if you haven't already. So thanks again. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.